You can have a seat. Kids, we are dismissing you. You are released to your classes with Pastor Jeremiah right here down the middle. It's good to see you. My name is Dave. I am one of the semi-sick pastors here this morning. Move back a little for the people in the front. Nah, not too bad. I took a COVID test. It's okay. Um, It's just a cold. But you know how a cold kind of it's not just a cold anymore. No one's just sick a little anymore. You're either sick or not sick. Um, but yeah, I am feeling pretty crummy today. So if a few of you would just, in your mind, pray today for energy, for clarity of thinking. I don't know if you've ever tried to preach when you're sick, but you know, it's a thing. It's a challenge. But hey, we're going to do it because God is here and he's going to speak today. We're going to be looking in Numbers chapter 12. If you have your Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, right there at the beginning, Chapter 12, we're continuing our look at the life of Moses, some of the key moments of his life, and today we come to a story that is pretty crazy. Um, It's a story of loyalty and betrayal, of sin and correction, of grace and forgiveness. But ultimately, the story that we'll look at this morning warns every single one of us of something insidious that wants to infect our lives and God's gracious cure for it. So, Numbers chapter 12, starting in verse 1. It says, Miriam and Aaron began to talk against Moses because of his Cushite wife, for he had married a Cushite. Now, first of all, Cush in the Bible Uh, refers to ancient Ethiopia. And and there's a lot of unsettled debate behind the scenes about who Miriam and Aaron are gossiping about here. Are they talking about a a new wife that Moses has taken? Is this his second wife? Or are they referring here to uh, Jethro's daughter who Moses married when he was in Midian, Zipporah? And, And no one really knows. There's debate about it. But either way, here is the scene. Moses' big brother and sister have turned on him. And this was no small thing because their relationship goes way back. If you'll remember with me at the very beginning of this story, when Moses was just a baby, it was Miriam who put him in that basket in the Nile River. It was Miriam who went and spoke to Pharaoh's daughter on Moses' behalf so that he could be nursed by his biological mother at home and then go live in the palace someday. And it was Aaron, his big brother, who risked his life and went with Moses to face Pharaoh time and time again, saying, let my people go. Miriam and Aaron have been with him from the beginning. They were with him through the plagues. They were with him at the Red Sea. They've been part of the manna and the quail and the cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night. They have become his second in command. These are not only Moses' siblings, but his most trusted counselors, his most relied upon leaders. And in this story, they betray him. They find a place where he might be vulnerable to public opinion and they begin to sow seeds of doubt. See, to marry a foreign person was not common practice in the ancient world. Most people very much married within their own tribe. And so here Miriam and Aaron are playing on the people's fears. 
They're tapping into some already there insecurities and they're using apprehension and suspicion and racism to stir up controversy and questions about Moses' leadership. Can you, can you believe he married her? Haven't you heard? Don't you know where she's from? And the question is why? Why would they do this? And what's really happening here? Our first lesson in the wilderness today is this. Our words are never just our words. Our words are never just our words. Our words are always an indication of something deeper happening within us. Jesus says this, out of the overflow of the heart, and by the way, in the scriptures, the heart is the very center of a person, the very core of who you are. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Friends, pay attention to your words because they will tell you something about what is happening deep inside you emotionally, deep inside you spiritually, deep inside you relationally. And if you find that your words are too often cutting or overly critical or or negative or mean-spirited or slanderous or passive-aggressive or even just sarcastic, then ask yourself this question, what is driving that? And here's another thing. Sometimes it's not even just the words we say, but also it's the words we withhold. Have you ever found yourself in a situation where you just were, were refusing, there was something inside of you that was refusing to agree with a compliment or offer an encouragement to somebody? Like maybe a friend at work says, you know, I met Allie, the new boss, and she's great. And you just go, hmm. Well, you're entitled to your opinion, right? You see, Miriam and Aaron are are talking a lot of trash about Moses' wife. But in verse 2, we get a glimpse of what's happening underneath their words. Has the Lord spoken only through Moses, they asked? Hasn't he also spoken through us? You see, the issue here really isn't Moses' wife at all, but Aaron and Miriam's desire to have Moses' status. His position, his prestige, his level of authority and credibility from God with the people. And the word for this feeling, friends, the the insidious sin that sits at the very heart of this story is envy. Envy, wanting what you don't, have. Feeling like what you have is not enough. Feeling that you deserve more, that you are in fact owed more. And envy, like you see in the story, thrives off of comparison. Envy says, I want your money. How much you have, your car, your house, your success, your popularity, your beauty, your status, your relationship, your gifts, your abilities. And here's the destructive thing about about envy. It often shifts from discontentment to resentment. In other words, I'm not just discontent with me and what I have. I start to become resentful of you 
for having what you have. And that resentment tempts me to take action. That resentment tempts me to take you down. The Germans have a great word for this. Schadenfreude. Isn't it fun to speak German? It's, you, just, you sound angry, don't you? Schadenfreude. Say it with me. Schadenfreude. Here's what Schadenfreude means. It means pain joy. Your pain brings me joy. Anyone ever felt that before? Your pain makes me a little happy. Just puts a little skip in my step today, right? You see, the Bible tells us this. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. But envy does the opposite. Envy says, weep over those who are rejoicing and rejoice over those who are weeping. That's Miriam and Aaron in this story. They go around camp and say to the people in private, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'll only say this to you, right? I don't want to be mean. However, friends, when your remarks begin with that phrase, you probably shouldn't make them. But then read the next line. Here's the very next line. And the Lord heard this. And the Lord heard this. You see, friends, we can hide our envy from other people, and we may even be able to deceive ourselves, but God always knows what is happening in our hearts. And God takes envy very seriously. For us, it's just commonplace. For us, envy is every single day on social media. But for God, it's a very serious affair. It's destructive. It's devastating. God knows that envy is deadly. Listen to how Proverbs talks about envy. This is Proverbs 27.4. Anger is cruel and fury, think about fury, and fury is overwhelming, but who is able to stand before envy? Proverbs 14. A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. Envy will disintegrate you and decay you from the inside out. Envy is like the worst cancer. You see, God knows that that while envy will give you short-term zaps of joy, now you know what this is like, right? This is envy, right? Envy is like short-term gain, long-term pain. Envy feels good for that split second when it comes out of your mouth, when it resides in your heart, when you just take that person down a notch with a, with a remark or a passive-aggressive comment or something that you share with someone else in confidence. Friends, all of middle school is built on this principle. Even though envy will give you short-term zaps of joy, it will ultimately rob your life of joy. It will steal joy from you constantly and consistently until you have none left. And here's why. Because envy prevents us from enjoying what we have by shifting our focus to what we don't have. One author I read this week said, the overpowering voice of envy says, this isn't enough. What I have isn't good enough. And by the way, 
Where is the first place in the Bible that we see envy show up? Where's the first place in the Bible where people don't have enough and what they have is not good enough? In the garden with Adam and Eve. It's literally paradise. And by the way, I know we say literally for everything. No, it's literally paradise. There's no death, there's no disease, there's no shame, guilt, fear. Everything is perfect. And yet they are convinced to think maybe it's not enough. Maybe God has something that we don't have. You see, what we learn about envy both in the garden and in the story today is that it's deceptive. This is why envy is so dangerous, friends, because it's deceptive, it's tricky, it's slippery. It's hard for us to see it in others and mostly it's hard for us to see it in ourselves. This is what James says about envy in chapter 3. If you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. How's that for strong language? Notice how he he calls envy wisdom in quotes, right? He's saying, if you have envy, don't pretend it's wisdom, What he's letting us know here is that envy always wants to justify itself in our minds. Envy's always telling you, it's okay to feel this way. It's just a comment. It's no big deal. And actually, what you're saying is true. I mean, I'm just being honest. I'm just being authentic. I'm just keeping it real. Or... Or because envy sometimes seems petty and embarrassing. Like no one, no one likes to say, I'm envious. How often do you hear someone say, oh, I'm really envious of this person? No one says that. It feels belittling. It feels shaming. And so what do we do instead? We justify it or we push it down and we pretend it's not there. Dr. Joyce Brothers says, we are so ashamed of envious feelings that we seldom pull them out into the light where we can get a good look at them. So friends, let me ask you, is there any envy in your life these days? I mean, dig deep. It's church. Might as well be honest here. We've already discovered God knows the reality. You're not fooling him. Is there any envy with a friend or a family member or a coworker, or a boss? Do you find yourself too often critiquing, being critical or criticizing, holding back praise, insinuating negative things about someone very subtly, in a, in a very Christian way? Maybe you all too easily notice someone's faults. Like, is there anyone in your life and their faults just stand out to you? You can just see everything wrong with them. If so, perhaps down in your heart, maybe there's envy. Verse 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. You see, this story is setting us up for a contrast for a comparison between 
Miriam and Aaron and Moses. There's a battle ensuing here, and the battle is between envy and humility. And so let's just say a few words about humility for a moment. I'll say a few words because most of us, when we think of humility, um, we think of people who are uh, who have a low opinion of themselves or who maybe really downplay their strengths. And, and, and that's not humility. I, I've said this before, but Jesus um, was the most humble person ever to walk on earth. Moses had the title for a few thousand years. Jesus came along and like shattered the record, right? I mean, Jesus is more humble than anyone ever. And think about Jesus. He never walked around saying, no, guys, no, I'm, I'm not... I'm not all that godly, but Jesus, Jesus, you're Messiah. Stop, stop. There are other Messiahs out there who are just as Messiah-y as me, right? Jesus never said that stuff. He said, worship me. He said, I can forgive sins. He said, let that woman use the most expensive perfume on my feet to honor me, right? He said, that is good and fitting and right, You see, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Actually, true humility is thinking rightly of yourself, having an accurate picture of who you really are before God. You know, one thing about the book of Numbers is that most scholars, almost all scholars believe that that Moses was, was the main author that he was at least the chief editor for the entire Torah. He put the whole thing together. The whole like first five books of the Bible, assembled, written, put together by Moses. And you know what that means, right? The most humble man in the world put in the Bible that he was the most humble man in the world. How's that work? Most of us think that's the opposite of humility, but that's because we don't understand humility. Humility is not just the absence of arrogance. That's only half of the equation. The other half is this. Humility is the absence of arrogance and the presence of confidence. We don't think of humility and confidence going together, but they fit together perfectly. Friends, humble people aren't sad people. They're satisfied people. Humble people aren't down people, they're durable people. Humble people aren't overconfident, they are rightly confident. Humble people don't need to envy you because they have learned to be content with who they are and what they have. You see, assurance in oneself helps me celebrate you. I can be humble because I'm confident. You see, humility kills envy because while envy feeds on comparison, humility feels no need to compare at all. Humility says, I'm confident in what I have, so I can be happy for you and what you have. And and, and now we will see both envy and humility play out in this story. Verse 4. At once the Lord said to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, come out to the tent of meeting, all three of you. So the three of them went out. And the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud. He stood at the entrance to the tent and summoned Aaron and Miriam. This has got to be a scary moment for them, by the way. Now, the tent of meeting was just what it sounds like it would be. It's the place where people would go to meet with God. The tent of meeting is where you connected with God. 
But at this point in the story, what does God do? He comes down as a, as a pillar of cloud and, and he blocks the entrance. He stands in front of the tent as if to say, Miriam and Aaron, you are not allowed in here. And, and the not so subtle point that he's making is that envy and jealousy and gossip and slander and anything actually that is damaging your relationship with another person will block your ability to be intimate with God. You see, sometimes we think of our God relationship and our personal relationships being separated, but they are not in the spiritual world. How you relate to others is very much connected to how you relate to the Lord. Those of you who are married, you know this. You understand this truth. I mean, have you ever tried to do devotions right after having a knockdown, unresolved you know, like argument with your wife? Like Amy and I will be in a fight and I'll just go over to my prayer journal like, Lord, I love you and I'm with you. And it's like, this isn't working. I have to do, do uh, this. Not, it's not happening, right? You ever try to listen to praise music in the car while you're having a fight? Sometimes it can help. It can help, but it's also difficult, right? Why? Why? Because our relationship with God is connected to our relationship with others. This is why Jesus says, if you come to the altar to worship, if you come to worship me and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. He's saying, Envy and God intimacy do not mix. A heart full of envy cannot be a heart full of worship. And so God has some words with Miriam and Aaron, and we'll come back to those in a minute, but skip down with me to verse 10, because here's how the story continues. When the cloud lifted from above the tent, Miriam's skin was leprous. It became as white as snow, Aaron turned toward her and saw that she had a defiling skin disease. And he said to Moses, Please, my Lord, I ask you not to hold against us the sin we have so foolishly committed. Do not let her be like a stillborn infant coming from its mother's womb with its flesh half eaten away. So Moses cried out to the Lord, Please, God, heal her. Please, God, heal her. Now, we're going we're to talk about leprosy in just a minute, but, but do you see how humble Moses is here? Because I know this is church, and it's hard to be honest sometimes, but, but do this with me for a minute. When someone wrongs you, I mean, not just a little wrongs you, like, when some, like, like not just cut you off in traffic, although that might apply as well. Like when they really hurt you, when someone betrays you, when they talk trash about your wife to all your friends. I don't know, I'm just letting you wives in on something. That's a big no-no for us husbands, right? You can say whatever you want about me, but you say some things about Amy, we're going to have trouble. Right, Maureen? We're going to talk. We're going to chat about it. I mean, Maureen would never do that, but I'm just saying, she gets what I'm saying. She's like, heck yeah. Stand up for your, your girl, Pastor Dave. You do that. Anyway. I wasn't in my script. I just added that. Okay. <laughs> but it feels good, right? Doesn't it feel good when people get what's coming to them after they've hurt you and then something goes wrong in their life or there's some sort of natural consequence to what they did? You feel like, yeah, 
That feels great. My brother was in high school. I think I've told you this story before, but it's such a good one. He was in high school, and there's this kid who was kind of always picking on him, and he was kind of his nemesis. And they were like, like one of those relationships where you're kind of friends, but you kind of don't like each other either. He's driving along one day in the summer, has his window down. All of a sudden, this kid pulls up. He turned his windshield wiper fluid thing to the side and starts, my brother's like getting hit. And he looks over and there's John like spraying his windshield wiper fluid right at my brother and hitting him in the face as they're, as they're kind of racing down or like driving down the street. And he's just laughing and pointing, ah! And then all of a sudden, wham! John rams into this car in front of him. My brother keeps going. My brother was like, yeah! That guy's got what was coming to him. I've never been so happy to see someone get in a car wreck. He came home, told that story. We we're all cheering in our house. My mom was concerned for John, but none of the rest of us were. Because why? Because revenge is sweet. I mean, there's something about revenge that just feeds our flesh. Like, yeah. Not for Moses. Not for Moses. Moses is so full of humility. He's so stripped of arrogance and he's so full of confidence. He's so secure in who he is before God that he does not need revenge so that he can feel better about himself. Friends, hear me on this. This this is huge. True humility is revealed when we've been wronged. You wonder if you're, you're humble. I know some of you are sitting here right now. If you're like me, you hear a sermon like this, you're like, Am I humble? And you're thinking of all the moments when you were humble, and then you're thinking of some moments when you weren't, and you're trying to decide, how humble am I? Am I, like, am I more like Moses, or am I more like Aaron and Miriam? And like, you're doing this whole thing. Friends, forget all that. Think about your hardest moments. You see, it's easy to be humble when everyone's nice. When I'm getting compliments all the time, when things are going great, when everybody loves me at work. Pastor Dave, your preaching is phenomenal. We really love it. This Moses series, you've been killing it. It's like, well, you know, it's all God. Everyone can be humble in those moments. It's when the critiques come. It's when someone hurts you. It's when they slander you behind your back and they betray your confidence. When when they're critical of you in some way that's personal. When it starts to feel personal, that's when you find out if you graciously just want things to be made right or if you want revenge. You see, humility wants merciful justice, but revenge wants vindictive judgment. Let me ask you this. When it comes to the people who have hurt you the most in life, do you want merciful justice or do you really, deep down, just want them to pay? Just want them to suffer. Just want them to hurt like you have hurt. I can relate to that feeling, friends. See, maybe the challenge for us is that in our lives, it's the struggle. It's that really difficult person or situation where God actually wants to grow us in humility. Maybe that's the place where God is saying, I got some humility work to do in your soul, and it takes a person just like this or a situation just like that, and now we can get down to business. 
That's maybe the place where God wants to grow you in humility. Verse 14, the Lord replied to Moses, if her father, remember Moses says, oh Lord, please forgive her. Please forgive her, Lord. The Lord replied to Moses, if her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? I, by the way, I sent this passage to a friend of mine this week and said, look what I'm preaching this week. And he said, that's going to be rough. God's spitting in people's face and stuff. Yeah, okay, here we go. At least now I have all of your attention. People are like snoozing off, like, God's spitting in someone's face? What's happening? If her father had spit in her face, would she not have been in disgrace for seven days? Confine her outside the camp for seven days. After that, she can be brought back. So Miriam was confined outside the camp for seven days, and the people did not move on till she was brought back. Let me just kind of tell you what's happening here. There's some cultural things. Um, like in many cultures, the, the Jews considered spitting in someone's face. I don't know how this would, I mean, maybe there's a culture where that's good, but not, in, not for the Jews. For them, it was an act of tremendous shame and disappointment. Parents would actually take an action like this, spit in their child's face in the very, in the, in the most extreme cases. And it symbolized that the child had fallen into a pattern of behavior that was so unclean so vile and so contagious to others around them that they needed to be separated from the community for seven days. So when you spit in someone's face, it was saying, like, you need to be separated from the community for seven days. And what's happening here is that God is using leprosy in the same way a Jewish parent would use spitting. Because when you got leprosy, you were considered to be unclean. You were considered to be contagious to others. And so you would be separated from the community. And so by giving Miriam leprosy, God is saying, Miriam, envy has built up in you such that it is now not just infecting you, but the people around you. Have you ever experienced this? Have you ever experienced how infectious envy can be? Has your envy for someone ever like, like leaked out of your life and infected a friend or a neighbor or a coworker? Has someone else, else's envy ever infected you? God is saying here, Miriam, you are contagious, so it's time for you to step away from this community and get your heart right with me again. Because friends, here's, here's something about God. His discipline is always for restoration. God is not getting vengeance on Miriam here. He's restoring Miriam here. We notice that at the end of this story, it says that the, the people would not move on, that they just stayed in camp. They stayed put until she was brought back, until she was restored into right relationship with, with God and Moses and the people. You see, God is restoring her here. All right, here's our final question today. If envy is deceptive and infectious and rots our bones, if it's really as bad as I'm saying this morning as the scriptures like, make it out to be, then how do we move away from envy and towards humility? How do I become a person who has the humility of Moses growing inside of my soul? Well, here's the answer. It's right in the middle of our story. Right after we're told that Moses is the most humble person ever to walk the face of the earth, or at least on the face of the earth at that point, 
um, God starts to talk about his relationship with Moses. And he, and he describes it with these words. He says, when there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, reveal myself to them in visions. I speak to them in dreams. But this is not true of my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my house. With him I speak face to face, clearly and not in riddles. He sees the form of the Lord. Friends, you want to know how Moses is so cotton-picking humble? He stood face to face with God. He constantly and regularly experienced the very presence of the Lord of the universe. Think about that for a minute, friends. Because there is no way to encounter God the way Moses did and walk away saying, I'm the man. Right? Like, I just hung out with God and I'm, feel, I'm feeling pretty holy, pretty amazing, pretty powerful. I'm him. That was for my son. See, you want to be less arrogant? Spend some time face to face with God. That'll humble you. That'll decrease your arrogance. But humility is not just the absence of arrogance, right? It's also the presence of confidence. So how do you sort of decrease arrogance and increase confidence at the same time? You go face to face with God. That's how you do it. Because when you see God's power and his knowledge and his grace and his strength and his sovereignty, when that becomes real to you, it will remind you of how finite you are. You will suddenly realize all of your own imperfections. You will see your brokenness and, and your dependence on him in full color. And then you will discover in spite of all those realities, in spite of all your sin and all your brokenness, he still loves you. That he's with you, that he's behind you, and that he's for you. And in fact, it's his plan to use you to accomplish his purposes in the world. See, friends, when you go face to face with God, you gain a confidence that, that transcends the circumstances of this world. A confidence that kind of gets you through the difficulties of this life and the critical comments of other people. And it's not because you don't care what other people think. It's that public opinion doesn't define you anymore. You've been defined as his son, as his daughter. And your sense of security no longer relies on what other people say. You're not always fishing for compliments to build yourself up or pushing away criticism so you don't get pulled down. You're stable and secure because the God of the universe says, you are my beloved you see, the great lie that sits behind envy is you are only as valuable as. You are only as important or significant. You are only important or significant when. And envy does not care what you put in that blank. Envy says you can put a lot of different things in those blanks. You are only as valuable as you are pretty. How many of us have bought into that lie? You're only as valuable as you are successful. You're only as valuable as you are smart. 
as you are funny, as you are popular, as you are seen as spiritual. You see, we can even spiritualize envy. You are only as valuable as you are as, as, as you are admired by your colleagues. You are only important or significant when your kids perform. When you have the nicest car or lots of friends or get the best grade or when your marriage is firing on all cylinders. You see, Envy says you can only be valuable and accepted if you have those things and more of those things than others. As soon as someone has more, it threatens your very personhood. And friends, this is why God and his good news, the gospel is the great enemy of envy. You want to kill envy in your life? Bring the gospel into your life because the gospel says your value and significance and importance, not only does it not have to be measured in comparison to what others have or don't have, it's not even measured in comparison to what you have or don't have. The gospel says you are immensely valuable. You are amazingly accepted. You are significant and important, all because the God of the universe loves you and loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you. You see, so many of us, we treat the gospel as this, this reality, this truth, this thing that's going to get me into heaven someday, and yet God wants to take the gospel and he wants to plant it in the center of your heart, right in the middle of your mind. The, here's, what, here's what scripture says. Preach the gospel... To that, to that situation that's so, so difficult for you. Preach the gospel. Put the gospel right in the middle of that relationship where you are tempted to envy what that other person has. Put the gospel right in the middle of your family dynamic that is oh so personal. Or that friendship that's gone south. Put the gospel right in the middle of it and let it do its work because the gospel will create in you a humble heart. Friends, this morning we're going to close by singing the song that says, even though we're small and weak, Jesus died and rose so that we can have life. It's just, it's just the gospel in a song today. But don't just sing it today in general. Sing it into that place in your life that it needs to be sung. Sing the gospel to your heart today and that's when God will start to soften you and help you be humble like Moses. Amen? Let's stand. Let's sing this together.